This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, Season 7, Episode 11. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network of shows, brought to you by Silencer Shop. Today is Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and I'm joined today by Matthew Marister. Hopefully, Matthew can get words out of his mouth better than I can today. I hope so. What's going on, man? <laughs> hey, we're glad to be here with a, a Justified Saves episode for you all. Uh, it's been actually a while since we had a Justified Saves episode, or this is our terminology for what many people know as a defensive gun use, or DGU. So today we'll be covering a bunch of DGU stories, sharing with you lessons learned from those, and other important takeaways, which uh, we hope will be relevant for you, our audience of the uh, Concealed Carry podcast here. Uh, glad to be with you again. Two weeks in a row, we're doing podcasts. That's a win. Yeah, back to, <laughs> back to almost normal. Almost normal. What you don't know is behind the scenes, uh, the house is burning down all around, uh, <laughs> you know, as we continue to uh, uh, do so many different things, especially since the launch of KSG Armory, the holster company. But anyway, we're glad to be with you all guys today. The episode is sponsored by CCW Safe. They are our partners uh, and our preferred choice for self-defense legal coverage. Please consider going to ccwsafe.com today and signing up. Podcast listeners get to use the discount code CCPodcast to save 10% off of a membership. And I believe that even applies for renewals if you're already a member. Uh, you, you Feel free to let us know if I'm wrong about that, but I think that's correct. Also, Guardian Nation members, those of you that happen to be members of our special membership program, uh, you can save 20% off with the Guardian Nation members only discount available in the members dashboard area. CCW Safe has been my preferred use, uh, like I said, for, or, or plan for self-defense legal coverage for several years now. We just got done with the Guardian Conference where they were a presenting sponsor of our event. And I'll tell you, one of the things is, is it's really cool to be at our training conference and you've got the CEO and the founders and their chief, you know, legal counsel. And I mean, even Andrew Branca does work with, with CCW Safe now as well. Uh, the whole team basically came out uh, at different times or, and sometimes all uh, like Saturday night, we had everybody pre pretty much there. Uh, welcoming uh, folks to our training conference and uh, answering questions and rubbing shoulders and talking about what CCW Safe has to offer. They are just amazing, amazing human beings. And uh, we're honored to be uh, a part of that in some way by having them as sponsors of not only our conference, but of this podcast. So guys, please show your appreciation. Uh, if you if you appreciate the, con the, the podcast, you can show your appreciation as well by supporting our sponsors, including CCW Safe. Again, ccwsafe.com. Today's episode is also sponsored by mountainmanmedical.com. Uh, Brian McLaughlin and I actually spent a couple weeks on the road back-to-back -back, uh, traveling together, one to our, our conference last month. And then the next weekend, he and I were out at the Active Self-Protection National Conference. Both he and I were teaching at as well. And I wanted to share a quick little story that on our way back from Manhattan, Kansas, where the ASP National Conference is held, uh, it was late at night. It was like 
one thirty, two o'clock in the morning, something like that. We still had a little, a little ways to go till we uh, got home. We were trying to make it home after a long weekend of of training and teaching uh, and kind of a, a straight shot there, taking turns driving, all that, you know, and uh, came up upon a, a multi-vehicle accident uh, involving a semi-truck and a truck towing uh, vehicles on it. And uh, that semi-truck had rolled over on its side. Uh, so, and, and it was very apparent that like we were the first ones stopping. Uh, we were the first ones on the scene and Brian and I knew what we had to do. We jumped out of the vehicle, grabbed our kits. He had his kit, which was a bit more comprehensive than mine. I grabbed my my uh, trauma kit, uh, and we immediately ran over, uh, with, all, with almost without any conversation or communication between us. I mean, there was just a quick acknowledgement of I was going this way, and he was going that way. He went to to attend to the driver of the semi truck. I went to the other vehicle that was involved. Fortunately, everybody was, for the most part, injury free. A couple of bumps and bruises and things, but nothing terribly serious. And we were thankful for that. But we were also thankful we had with us our training and also our Mountain Men Medical Trauma Kits. Guys, this is... uh, It's the second time this year I've responded to the scene of an accident with a trauma kit. And I know that many of you out there may not feel like you have the training or the expertise to to put things into action. But uh, you know what? When I responded to the accident scene earlier this year in February in Alabama, while I could have administered aid, and I did help out a little bit, uh, but really what ended up happening is a off-duty firefighter who didn't have a trauma kit with him was also there to help, and I was like, hey, I've got a kit. You are a firefighter, an EMT. And so, uh, you know what? Sometimes your kits can be put to use by people, other people. That maybe you're also responding, but simply do not have or forgot to bring with them their own uh, uh, medical safety products as well. So anyway, it's just something to take away and consider. Go to mountainmedical.com. Appreciate your business there. And of course, appreciate the sponsorship of Mountain Medical as well as this podcast. Bunch of you uh, joining with us today uh, live on YouTube and Facebook. Feel free, folks, to please share the podcast with, uh, even if you're not on Facebook or YouTube, but please feel free to share the podcast with your friends and family. Uh, Hope to try to provide a service to you here and hope that you appreciate that. Let's get into our first story. Matthew, what do we got? All right. So this one uh, is from Alaska. Now we got two stories similar, um, a little bit different than our regular defensive gun uses. These are going to be against um, bears. So this first one's up from Alaska. A nine-year-old boy seriously injured in Alaska brown bear mauling. Bear shot dead by family member. Uh, basically what happens, you know, uh, father looks like a father-son. He's 41. The, the son is nine years old. They're out um, near mile 36 of Glen Highway in the Matanuska townsite road. Don't know where that is, but if you are in Alaska, maybe you do. Uh, They're hunting out there and uh, come across a uh, sow and her cub. Probably not a good idea. Uh, They just stumble across while they're hunting, and this brown bear just mauls the child. Um, The 41-year-old male who's with him, I'm assuming it's a father, sure hope so, um, shoots the bear and uh, kills the bear. 
both of them are treated at the hospital. Um, it, does, it, it doesn't say that the, the man was injured, but I assume it says he was treated. So I uh, must have sustained some sort of injuries, uh, probably not as bad as the, the child. But um, yeah, so kills the bear. Um, and then, you know, this is just one of the stories. I put it in there because we, we talk about defensive gun uses in, you know, against other humans. Uh, but sometimes people we've, we shared stories against people defending against, you know, uh, dogs that are mauling kids or, or other people, uh, bears. Certainly if you go hunting, you know, that you probably take uh, a handgun or some sort of, uh, uh, firearm for protection against bears and things like that. So this is one of those stories. If he didn't have a firearm with him, uh, you know, child's probably dead, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe him too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What a terrible thing. I mean, I, I've got a son that, uh, he's not quite nine, but he's not too far from that age. And I can only imagine being out in the wilds, uh, you know, trying to take my, my child out with me, enjoy the, uh, pleasures of hunting, you know, on the, which is a wonderful thing that, you know, we are able to do. And, uh, yeah, to come across something like that and to have my child mauled by a, a creature like that. I mean, that'd be terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't say what type of firearm was used. Not that that's uh, particularly, you know, it's not the ultimate thing here, but um, I would imagine perhaps a hunting rifle or something like that. Uh, there's, we've discussed before on the podcast, there's quite a bit of interesting evidence, a lot of it put together by uh, Dean Weingarten over at ammoland.com talking about the success rate of standard handguns being used against bears of all types, polar bears, black bears, brown bears, uh, uh, grizzly bears, you know, and it, it, the, the evidence would surprise you. Um, I'm not saying that's what this, you know, that this one would, I'm not saying this particular incident would fit into that, that category. Uh, but you know, I, when I go out in the back country, I've got bear spray with me and I'm certainly ready and willing and would prefer to use that if possible. Uh, but I'm also carrying, I'm packing heat too, you mm-hmm. know, cause, uh, definitely familiar with incidents here in the Rocky mountain region, uh, where we've got more grizzly bears, not so much down here in Colorado, but where I grew up in, you know, the Western part of Wyoming, Eastern part of Idaho, Southwest corner of Montana, that's like grizzly country up there and plenty of incidents of failures with, uh, bear spray uh exist and uh yeah it's good to have options just just like you know having options i mean hey here's here's my here's my spray option i'm holding up a little canister of palm pepper spray here's my human option here and of course i've got the firearm option on my on my waist as well so uh good to have options and whether we're dealing with human threats or or the 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 type that are walking on four legs Right, right. And, and you're in Colorado. Uh, I'm, I don't know where Newcastle is, but uh, the next story is yeah. another bear attack that happened in Newcastle, Colorado. Um, and this happened in a dude's uh, backyard. Yeah, uh, well, I, I know precisely where Newcastle is. In fact, I, I know somebody that lives there. Uh, this is so oh, like two and a half-ish, maybe two and three quarters, eh, a little more than two and a half hours to the west of me on I-70. Uh, just past Glenwood Springs, uh, beautiful, beautiful area up there. Uh, 
certainly a lot more rugged, you know, than, than what I have here in the Denver Metro area, but uh, beautiful area man up there. Here's a bunch of uh, noise out in his backyard. He goes out with a gun, uh, said, said that to, he was going out to investigate the noises emanating from his backyard armed with his gun. And he happened to encounter a bear in this case, likely to be, I don't know if it says, but it's likely to be a black bear, um, which are far more prevalent in this re- part of the uh, Rocky mountain area. But uh, could have been, could have been a grizzly. There's reports, more and more reports of grizzlies uh, spreading, you know, back across the, the region here. But anyway, this man managed to grab his firearm and fire off three shots and scare the bear off, it says. It's unknown if any of the shots hit their mark. Uh, and as of the most recent reporting, they did not find any evidence of the actual bear itself. Uh, but uh, you know what? Hey, I mean, obviously, when we fire rounds, we want to be accountable to those rounds and we want to make sure they impact our intended target. But at the same time, if we're in kind of a wide open, rural area there's nobody around and the noise is what scares that bear off well i'll take that as a win too yeah it says here at the bottom of the story this is the second bear attack in newcastle this year this is one of those things that kind of makes me wonder if it could be almost the same bear Uh, those sorts of things uh do do tend to happen certain bears get a little bit too comfortable around humans and you know discover that hey there's food and resources down at these these humans houses let's go investigate that and and start causing problems. Uh, yeah. It's unfortunate for these bears. A lot of times they end up, you know, being uh, shot or euthanized, but uh, uh, such is life sometimes. Yeah. Th- uh, this one uh, at, towards the end, it says the victim stated he had seen a bear in his yard the past two nights. And this goes down at like 1030 at night. And right, right. I, I don't know, like, I don't know about you, the, the craziest. Uh, I mean, I got like maybe some coyotes that pass through my yard or something. Right. But like, Dude, if I've seen bears out in my backyard like two nights and then I hear noise <laughs> at 1030 at night, I'm probably not going out to investigate. I probably have an idea That's fair. of what this is. And I'm I'm just telling you, man, like people can call me, you know, all the names in the book. I'm probably not going out to confront a bear, um, especially if my aim isn't good enough to be able to shoot the thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It, good that this guy survived and he didn't you know he missed the beer bear apparently if he was aiming at it or not but um but yeah mm-hmm. i i don't know that's probably wouldn't that wouldn't be my choice but hey it's just me well you know that's something we talk about all the time on the podcast especially with talking about justified safe stories that's always a an important consideration when uh, there's incidents that are taking place outside of our home and it, it there is it's a tough thing, you know, to, uh, you know, there, there is, it's actually human nature to, to a large degree that we're inherently very curious and even drawn to, uh, to, to even to, you know, things of the macabre, you know, like, Oh, there's something terrible going on here. I want, I, I need to check that out. Like that's, that's a pretty innate, um, thing that we all have to, to deal with. And that's a tough thing to resist. Uh, it's important to understand that and, and give some thought ahead of time. Think about how you would handle these types of situations. If you find yourself in one. Okay. That, and that's actually one of the reasons why we even share these stories. I think I feel mm-hmm. is to give people food for thought that you can, you can consider now in the comfort and the safety of your home, your chair, your office, wherever it is that you're, 
listening to or watching the podcast today and 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 just be thinking about that well if this if this happened to me or if i heard this bump or this loud noise or somebody's breaking into my vehicle or whatever it is what would i do how would i handle that what's the best course of action what's the what's the most sure course of action in terms of you know dealing with a problem but also taking care of numero uno mm-hmm. right because chances are, I mean, there's certainly examples. Uh, it, there's usually a couple stories every year of bears breaking into people's homes. Uh, so things certainly can escalate. But probably by and large, most of these types of incidents is if, if you just let the bear do its thing, it's going to do its thing and, 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 and then leave. Um, at the same time, if it's causing property damage, I understand that too. And you want to try to try to stop that. Uh, cause nobody likes seeing, seeing property get damaged, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, think about what things you might do that allows you to maintain your safety and try to scare, frighten, deter that bear, whether it's installing, uh, bright lights, using an alarm, a siren, um, all kinds of things that you might consider doing Yeah, without having to go out and face an unknown, you know, thing in the dark. Yeah. Anyway, going now to Harris County. I think this was in Texas. Uh, yep, Houston area. 17-year-old armed with shotgun kills two suspects during attempted home invasion in East Harris County, Sheriff says. Why don't you give us the lowdown on this one, Matthew? Yeah, so this uh, this happens. Um, there's actually about 1040 p.m. And uh, it's two teenagers, a 12-year-old boy and a, a woman, uh, maybe babysitter, mother, I, I don't know, uh, inside the home. Uh, three armed men wearing masks attempt to make force entry into the home. Uh, it's a pretty scary thing. I mean, yeah. um, and oh, so, sure. yeah, and so this, uh, this report says at some point, one of the teens, teen boys grabbed a shotgun and shot two of the suspects several times. Uh, two, two of the men died. Uh, they got shot at the scene. A third suspect fled in a dark colored four-door vehicle. Uh, that suspect apparently is still on the run. Uh, two of them are no longer running or breathing. And um, this, you know, 17-year-old kid grabs the, the, the firearm, uh, knows how to use the shotgun, um, and, and, you know, protects a family against three dudes that, uh, you know, clearly weren't there to, uh, with good intentions. Yeah. They were armed and they had masks on, you know? Yeah. Yep. And, you know, apparently this was a, a mother identifies as a, her as a woman, two teen boys and a 12 year old boy. Uh, presumably that woman would be their mother. I would, I would assume, uh, two teen boys, one of which we know is a 17 year old who happened to be the teen that grabbed the shotgun and used it in defense. It's remarkable to me that in this case, you know, you've got, and I don't know if there's a father involved here or, or a significant other of the, of the mother. Uh, I don't know who's responsible for or owns the shotgun. Uh, but you know, bravo to the 17 year old kid who recognizes a very serious threat to his family, his brothers, his mom, etc. grabs the shotgun and puts it to use. And that's, that's remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. You know, where, where's that? I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not judging the mother here at all, but it, you just, you know, you got an adult at home, like 
typically you'd you'd presume that it'd be the the adult that would be putting the tool to use. In this mm-hmm. case, it's one of the kids. Well, good for him. Wait, 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 way to go for him. You know, to as Mickey Shook would say, to be his own cavalry. <laughs> you know, to yeah. Protect and defend his family. Yeah, and this is one of those things that kind of you know you can't help but wonder about mandatory storage laws and things like that, that, you know, um, clearly there are times that you should have a firearm locked away and the 17 year old should not have access. And there's, you know, 27 year olds that shouldn't have access to firearms. But um, we see, and we've covered many stories where teenagers, I I can remember, uh, you know, maybe 11 year old that uses a, a rifle to defend the, the the family member against somebody who's in the home attacking the the, the mother or something or um, so you know so I think the argument against mandatory storage is is, is great the the list is long but I think some of the is you know you can't just arbitrarily say this seventeen year old because of their age cannot handle a firearm and can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And, and as soon as they become 21, then no longer is that mandatory story. I mean, it's just, that's one of the many, you know, on mm-hmm. the list, but, uh, but Absolutely. This is, you can't help, you know, we can't help but mention that at least. I am completely on board with what you're saying there because, uh, and we've talked about it. We've talked about, in my opinion here is that these are decisions that should be left up to families and households. Uh, Cause they, they know they know best. And I know not, not every household, not every person, not every family is uh, responsible in the way we'd like them to be. Sure. And certainly we recognize that there are many, many, many accidents. In fact, there was just one here recently here in Colorado of a child uh, getting hold of a gun and, uh, sh- you know, shooting uh, themselves. So, uh, and those, those are terrible and they are tragic. And that is the reason why certain individuals have felt it necessary to push forth legislation requiring safe storage of firearms. Mm -hmm. But uh, the unfortunate truth is, is that law was passed like last year and has been in effect now for some, some time. Um, And I guess it was that earlier this year, but anyway, it all meshes together now in my, in my brain, but you know, that law was already passed and yet this accident still occurred because people still have a choice and can still choose to be irresponsible. Mm-hmm. And it only serves to pr- punish people primarily after something terrible happens. And then those that are actually responsible and take the law seriously because they view themselves as law abiding and want to make sure they comply, actually then choose to store their guns in the manner the law dictates and then prevents their 17 year olds from actually being able to use a firearm in defense of the household. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is why the decisions should be left up to the families. But anyway, I digress. Let's go now to Westchester, Ohio. This is a doozy. Yeah. Uh, and I've got a kind of a little bit of a follow-up story to this, but uh, the, the story goes, uh, I didn't ask for this. This is the title. Man accused of shooting woman in Westchester claims she lured, tried to rob him. Uh, basically, it sounds like, I mean, the way it started out is police responded to a call of a man that, you know, the call uh, described it as a man breaking into a, a, a home, an apartment, I think, and then uh, using deadly force, you know, threatening these women and a four-year-old boy or child. I guess it doesn't say the sex of that child. Or no, four-year-old girl. There it is. 
And uh, actually, one of these uh, women in this uh, apartment were shot. So that's the call that goes out. So police respond. They locate the man. Uh, they arrest him. He is charged. He's, you know, taken into custody and all this stuff because the story is he broke into our apartment, attempted to rob us, shot one of us, and, you know, we're the victims here. Turns out, as police conducted their investigation, it turned it turned into, instead of, I mean, it basically flipped everything up on, upside down on its head and actually turns out that this man was lured there to this apartment under a romantic encounter pretense and he arrived and upon arriving one of these two women actually both these women but one of them was armed with a firearm themselves and they attempted to rob him uh and it says that uh uh you know he 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 ended up shooting one of the women and it says here this is a critical detail uh the man that shot the the woman in the apartment says that he was armed when he came to the apartment. He shot one of the women in self-defense, and he also took the woman's gun and then fled. And this is where it becomes so, so important that when you're involved in an encounter of any kind, especially if a firearm is involved, not necessarily even shots being fired. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm remembering an incident here in Colorado a number of years ago. This was told to me by a U.S. Law Shield representative. And uh, I remember them t- explaining how a gentleman here was uh, involved in some kind of road rage type incident. And he, as, upon exiting his vehicle, his gun was, I think he was either carrying openly or a shirt, you know, had ridden up and had exposed his gun. He never touched the gun, never drew the gun. But the individual that was the, the, um, what's the word? The antagonist here that was kind of the, 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 person responsible for creating this problem they happened to be the ones that called police first and reporting a man with a gun and the man with the gun had threatened them well who were police to believe well they, they get a call and the first call that comes in sounds pretty believable and so they respond they arrest the man that was ultimately found to be the victim in the situation just a victim of circumstance and a victim of, you know, happening to have his gun on his waist or exposed or whatever. And they use that information against him. So it's kind of an interesting uh, uh, case. So, you know, anytime you're involved in an incident, even if you think that it's resolved and you can go about your merry, happy way, it, it's not a bad idea to place a call and at least be the one first on record of what occurred because yeah. it sounds worse when you're the, when you're the next person, or if you never bothered to call for whatever reason, or you just didn't have the opportunity to do so uh, before the other uh, party uh, managed, managed to do that. So uh, some things to consider there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is just a, a, a wild one, but you know, if you can obviously um, avoid these types of putting yourself in these types of situations if you can. Right. So, um, yeah. you know, sometimes we, we kind of, uh, and you're dealing with, yeah, I'll leave it at that, but yeah, make good choices I mean, up front and you, you kind of avoid some of this sometimes. You're dealing with strangers, right? You're responding to some romantic ad advertisement. 
Um, and uh, you don't you don't know who that other person is, right? It's not it's not much different than you know. There's people that do stuff on Craigslist and Facebook Marketplace that are false listings that are clearly you know with the intent of setting people up for a, a robbery, an armed robbery. Yeah. Uh, there was a man killed here in Colorado a year or two ago, I think two years or so or so ago now, that uh, was a, a a fake listing where he was thinking that he was buying uh, like a PlayStation or something like that showed up, you know, and turned out it was a, you know, they knew he was coming prepared to buy a PlayStation. So he'd have cash and they tried to rob him. And fortunately he got shot in the process. It was a terrible, tragic story. So, you know, people now are a little bit smarter, you know, like, Oh, let's set up a meeting in a public place or at the police station or that, you know, something to that effect. Well, now you're starting to see some of these, um, well, like Tinder, for instance, right? Some of these sites, you know, where people are looking for uh, romantic, you know, ma- romantic love, or maybe just a one night stand, and you're dealing with people you don't know. It's actually it's, this story, the follow up story I said I was going to mention, uh, it's actually just a few days ago here in Colorado Springs, twenty uh, two year twenty two year old woman uh, lured a man to her apartment uh, that. You know, she had uh, interacted with online. He comes to her apartment, thinks that, you know, they're going to have a nice little fling or whatever. And in the course of that, she ends up duct taping his hands and feet, cutting and stabbing him with a knife, threatening to kill him. Uh, Even like forces him into the bathtub at one point because he's getting blood on her bed and sheets and stuff. That's never a good thing <laughs> to be tied up and already bleeding and forced into a bathtub by somebody that's holding a knife. Like that almost never ends well. Uh, fortunately, this man managed to uh, uh, talk his way a little bit out of it and get her calmed down. And she actually ended up falling asleep. And he managed to then get a hold of the knife, free himself, and get away and call 911. I'm pretty sure we'd be reading about this man's murder. Uh, if it had been just a few more hours later, you know, uh, if he hadn't managed to free himself. So like, again, uh, a false pretense of a romantic hookup and, uh, could have ended very poorly for that guy. Yeah. Pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Looking for love in all the wrong places. That's yeah. all I can <laughs> just go, just go look for it. At the local bar. Trust me. <laughs> Wait, scratch that one. <laughs> what do I know about bars? I don't know nothing <laughs> about bars. Concealcarry.com, uh, California. In fact, our, our, our California subsite, Matthew, you wrote an article here. Father shoots son he believed was an intruder. And I remember seeing this story come up. And so tell us what happened here in California. Yeah, so basically uh, what happens, uh, this happens at like 2.30 in the morning in Merced, uh, California and uh, family is asleep. Uh, father in the home sees a light go on outside. It's unclear if it's like a motion light or if it was a flashlight, but it, it says a light goes on, alerts him. He believes everybody is in the home, including a 17 year old who shouldn't be outside at this time, two 30 in the morning. Um, so he sees, looks out the window, sees somebody moving around in his backyard, goes downstairs, um, the, the, apparently he's armed with a shotgun when he's there. 
Um, there's a back door to the home um, that enters into the kitchen, apparently uh, comes in or, or right around the kitchen, comes in through that. The, the per- this person comes in through the back door. Um, the, it says that the, the father said that he was armed uh, and told the intruder to leave. Uh, but the intruder continued to come inside the home and he shoots uh, uh, one round from his shotgun, uh, strikes the boy in the arm, thigh, and I think maybe like a stomach or something like that. Um, boy is transported to a trauma hospital. They do surgery. He's going to survive. Um, but this is one of those situations where, you know, we... You know, we talk about giving out commands saying, hey, I'm armed, you know, don't come in here. Um, but identify identification of the target is it, it, the threat is very important, not just that it's a it's a humanoid shape. Right. Like, OK, I've identified it as a human. Well, OK, nobody should be in my home. Well, but you haven't identified if this is a humanoid of, you know, your family member or a random stranger. And so when we talk about identification, like that involves identifying who you're shooting. Um, and unfortunately, you know, you would think, okay, I'll just give out commands and, you know, if it's my son, he'll leave, but it's unclear how much time passed, right? Like you give a command, the, the state of adrenaline, you're in, you know, you're, um, you know, you might only give a second and, and, and then you shoot and you're, you're the person who's coming in the door, your son or family member or coming around the corner when you're, you know, sneaking around trying to find the who's you know the, the person that you suspect is in your home making the noise. Um, things happen so quickly, and you know, I in stressful situations sometimes things seem like they take forever to happen, but it really only takes a second. So it might seem like, well, I gave these commands, and it's you know I must have given it and, you know waited five seconds, but it could have been you know a half a second half a second or a second in, in reality. And you, and that person just doesn't have the, enough time. So um, having a handheld flashlight, using lights, um, ver, you know, verbal and being able to observe what's going on, um, you know, gives you the ability not to shoot, you know, a, a, a loved one family member. And, and we see this happen. I, I don't want to say quite often, but um, too, too often. Let's, I, I think we could say that. So, um, yeah, just one of those stories. Thankfully he, he's going to survive, but, um, but you got to identify, you know, you yep. got, you got to. Yep. Yeah. Darn triple S disease. It, it's far too prevalent, you know, people shooting at shapes, shadows and sounds. Um, I remember when Jacob and I first covered that years ago and, and did a whole podcast episode on it, I believe. Um, there's, there's so many unfortunate stories that come to mind. I know I remember covering a story. It was in Castle Rock, Colorado here of a man shooting his wife. I remember one of a father shooting his daughter who, you know, came home from school at an unexpected hour. Uh, I, you know, there, there's take those. There's another one of a husband shooting his wife in the ear, you know, that he just woke up and, saw her kind of like over, you know, kind of hanging over him or in the room, you know, in front of him and, you know, fires a shot at her and narrowly misses her head, clips her ear. You know I mean? There's just, just multiply these stories by five, by 10, by 50. Um, we've talked about quite a few over the years, positively identifying your target, 
that you're about to point a gun at is absolutely essential. <sighs> Some people like people will talk like, well, but what if, but what if the time it takes for me to grab my light and identify that threat, potential threat, uh, what if the time it takes to do that costs me my life? And this may not be a popular viewpoint, but my buddy Chris Seipert of Citizens Defense Research also said something pretty similar recently. You know what? That is the cost of doing business, potentially. Meaning that that is what we ultimately are responsible with, is this responsibility of only pointing, drawing, and shooting a gun at something that we've identified is, in fact, a shootable target, meaning a threat in the context of self-defense and concealed carry. And if that means that there's a significant amount of hesitancy because we have to be sure and that that verification, that confirmation of that threat costs us time and possibly gets us shot or wounded or killed, that's that's a cost of doing business. That's a cost of being a good guy. That's a cost of being on the defensive mm -hmm. and on the offensive. And that's not a popular viewpoint among certain folks and within certain crowds. But that's the reality, I think, that responsible self-defenders and concealed carriers are faced with, is that we must identify what we are about to point a gun at and shoot. Yeah. And, and I'll just say this, like, because we, we go through these stories all the time, and, and I say this quite a bit, that, but the stories that make it to the show, there's at least that many that I read through that don't make it. And so I, 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 I read a lot of these, you know, these instance incidents and um, many of the times the, the person who was forced to make a split second decision did things that tactically um, forced them to make, to be in that situation. Like they had the ability, had they, you know, listened to, um, you know, read some, some, you know, subject matter experts in how to uh, set up your home to be able to defend better in order, you know, how to tactically approach uh, somebody who you believe is a threat to you or, or, you know, might be in your home or might be outside your home lurking around. Um, if you would take those types of advice and take it seriously and think about it and, 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 apply some of this, you wouldn't be forced to make a split second decision. You may have two or three seconds to use the light. And, and, and what, you know, graphically explains this to me is I always think of that. Um, I think is Tamir Rice in Cleveland, right? Where, mm. where the officers rode up directly on him in the, 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 the officer that gets out of the passenger side is like five feet away from this, this kid who has a firearm, you know, and certainly is, appeared that way. Right. And is forced to make a split second decision where if they would have parked a hundred feet away or 200 feet away, that give they, that would have given them time. Now I, I'm, you know, I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking that. And I'm not, it has nothing to do with, you know, what happened with that. I'm just saying like, 
the way, and sometimes it's inevitable, right? Like you, you might just be coming around the corner and all of a sudden somebody is breaking into your home and you have no idea. But if you see somebody in your backyard and you see lights, you don't need to get right up against the door or 10 feet away from the door. So when that person comes in, if they do, you have to make a split second decision. So the point is, is Yes, sometimes we have to make split second decisions and you may not have the time to, you know, uh, using the light may be what ends up costing your life. But oftentimes, if we do a little bit, if, if, if our tactics or our approach is better, we give ourselves the ability to have more time. And, and that's kind of what I'm hoping. You hit think. the nail on the head with that statement right there. So I think we should leave it there and move on to the next one since we still have a bunch to cover sure, but sure, that sure. that that is spot on that is spot on my friend cwbchicago.com reports concealed carry holder shoots burglar in chinatown uh says prosecutors here uh state that a, a concealed carry holder shot a burglar who charged at him when, a re- when he returned to his home in chinatown chicago on monday evening now the burglar is hospitalized and charged with a felony Police responded to the victim's home. It was around 6.30 p.m. Found the burglar with a gunshot wound to his abdomen. Uh, The homeowner, who's 32 years old, told police that he saw his garage door open and a bike leaning against the garage when he returned home. When he peeked into the garage's side door, the burglar, the intruder here, charged at him. The victim took a step back, pulled out his gun, and shot him once in the abdomen. So, uh, you know... Interesting there. We don't have the full context as far as, um, you know, because depending on the state, whether you are inside the dwelling, outside the dwelling, uh, what's defined as, as curtilage, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's a variety of factors that are important to know here based on your particular state's laws as it relates to use of force in and around or outside of the home. Uh, in this case, it seems pretty clear based on how what you know what we have available here, informational information-wise, from uh, this story and from the Chicago police that the homeowner is not being charged with anything. That the the burglar in this case is uh, homeowner, like it says, was you know suddenly uh, startled by this man charging at him uh, in his garage or from his garage and took a step back, pulled out his gun, and shot him. Uh, did what I guess he felt like he needed to do to uh, defend himself. But, you know, this is another example. Like we start talking about tactics, Matthew. And again, it's so difficult as human beings to not be innately curious about what's going on. You see your garage, you know, open when it shouldn't be and a bike leaning up. It seems that this may have been a, a, a bike ridden by the, by the burglar himself. Um, so you see a, a bike that you don't recognize a door that's open and you go to investigate that as opposed to maintain a safe distance, take up a position of cover, get on the phone, call 911, uh, maybe deal with that situation without ever having to fire a shot. Even if it is legally justified, it's still far better to not find yourself in a situation where you had to use daily force against somebody. It, yeah. like th- That always ends up working out best for you in the long run, whether it's financial, whether it's uh, legally, whether it's, uh, uh, emotionally and psych- psychologically, it's always better for you if you can use the smarter play, use better tactics, and avoid the situation in the first place. Yeah, 
It, we, we, this is a class. I mean, I, I remember writing an article about not going in to search your home. If you arrive and know somebody's inside or presume and having a door open and a bike that you don't know parked outside that door, I think you can pretty much assume that somebody is in your home that you don't know and isn't supposed to be there. And unless there's a family member in there that you need to save, um, you just, it, it's not, you can do it. Right. But it's not the smartest play and it it puts you behind. It puts you in a predicament where you may have to use force or you may be injured or be killed. And I just, you know, I I get like every time that post gets published, there's people that comment like, oh, that's my house. I know it better than the bad guy. And I'm going to be I'm telling you, you know, clearing your own home, even though, you know, everything about it, it by yourself is very dangerous and it's very difficult. And the person who's in there probably already knows, saw you pull up into the driveway. And if they are there by themselves or multiple people, they're waiting for you. And it doesn't take much, very, you know, tactics to hide behind a corner or a door and wait for somebody uh, to come in. I don't care how well you know your home. Uh, you're not going to fare well against three dudes or two dudes or somebody waiting inside for you. It's just, so it's just, it, it's just a smarter play. Agreed. Agreed. Now we come to a story out of North Glen, Colorado. I'm going to let you take the lead on uh, sharing details from this one, Matthew. Uh, and I'll, you know, probably add a little bit of context as well, but this is one that was, uh, you know, relatively uh, close to home for me. I mean, it's on the complete opposite side of the Denver metro area from where I live, actually probably not, terribly far from where director of training at Mount Man Medical lives, Brian McLaughlin. Uh, but uh, basically the headline here is police say semi-automatic gun machete used in North Glen burglary before teens were shot. Yeah. So these, this is kind of a, a related, uh, you know, there's two different stories that we put in the show notes, but uh, basically what ends up happening is these teens are going and doing home burglaries um, they burglarize one home and while they are burglarizing, you know, they leave that home while they're burglarizing another home. Um, the original homeowner gets there, finds that their home's been burglarized, calls the police and they're like, Hey, we're going to be a little bit delayed. We're actually dealing, uh, with, with a, a high priority call, which was, um, them, um, responding to, uh, a situation where, um, so, where they broke into this home um, and she and they are ended, they end up getting shot. Um, so basically what ends up happening is they find that these these teens were doing a, a series of burglaries in the area. One of them had it says a semi-automatic gun. Uh, in the other story, it says that they had a, one had a handgun and the other one had a machete. Um, but yeah, they were, they were killed by the second home or one of the homes that they subsequently broke into, uh, killed by the homeowner. Um, and so just, just kind of one of those things where, you know, timing is, is everything, right? Like if that person would have gotten home a little bit earlier, right. And would have, Hey, I saw my fence was broken and I think somebody might be inside my home and I'm going to go inside, um, and, and, and investigate. And this is, this is what happens. They were actually, uh, killed down the road, but you know, timing sometimes is, is our friend and, and hopefully, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of what, what happened here that these people, uh, um, 
the, the, the person that was armed and could defend them themselves. That's what happened. They were home. They were able to do that. The people that weren't home, I don't know if they were armed or not, but, um, you know, they didn't have to defend themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this is, uh, well, okay. So what's relevant here is when this first story, when this story first came out was we just heard about two teens, apparently trying to break into to properties, uh, apparently breaking their way through a fence and entering into somebody's backyard were shot uh, and that shots were exchanged. Uh, it was not a lot of details. You know, you hear shots exchanged and you immediately think, well, they probably, uh, you know, the teens or one of the teens probably was in fact armed with a gun. That's pretty hard to exchange shots. If, if you know both parties aren't you know armed that way, but this 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 new story was good to see come out with a little bit more clarification, letting us know that in fact one of these uh, like 15, 16 year old kids was armed with a handgun, uh, and that in fact shots were exchanged, and that's 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 incredibly relevant because actually I just saw in a related story to this one, Matthew, that the the family of the of one of the teens that was killed. Um, you know, has come out and publicly spoken to the media and saying they want answers and, you know, how this is a, you know, their beautiful child and he was a good kid and he was a great big brother to his siblings. And then it's terrible that uh, he, he was shot, you know, that, that the homeowner in this case, you know, shouldn't have shot him dead. You know, he's just, you know, he probably could have told him to go away and he would have left and all would have been well, except the problem here is that this kid actually was carrying a weapon. And shots were exchanged. So, I mean, it kind of tells you all you need to know. Um, this was, I mean, he may have been a, a good kid in the minds of this family, but was unfortunately not actually a, a good kid in terms of his, his actions on this particular day. And chances are it's not the first time he'd done anything like this. I mean, we already know that he'd broken into another house and perhaps had done other things too. Uh, another story, I, I included it in the links. Uh, I'm not sure if everybody's going to be able to pull it up on the Denver Post because sometimes Denver Post you know, wants to force you to try to subscribe and all this stuff, but I was able to get it up. And it just had a couple other details I thought were really relevant here. And it says, um, uh, it's actually really specific in this Denver Post story where it talked again about these two teens, one of them having a semi-automatic handgun, one having a machete, uh, that there was an exchange of gun fire with the resident and that uh, it says items from a nearby burglary including an airsoft gun were recovered from the backyard the airsoft gun was not a factor in the shooting and then it all goes on to say that both the handgun and machete were recovered from the scene so it seems to indicate that there was also an airsoft gun involved but uh, that that there was also a real handgun which was actually what was used by one of these teens in the commission of this crime. And that's a really important uh, uh, factor because regardless of like you talked about, and we've talked already in this episode a couple of times about, you know, the importance of using smart, wise, prudent tactics about not going in search of problems, about not investigating things. We don't have to investigate and so on and so forth. And that perhaps the homeowner here didn't need to, you know, be checking out what was going on in his backyard. And, and, but, at the same time, that is what he did. And what he found, what he encountered was an armed juvenile that was willing to use a gun against him. And that this, this homeowner used his own firearm, fortunately now in this case, you know, because now he is, there's justification here. Uh, whether it was inside or outside the home, there was a weapon involved, clear, imminent threat of deadly force was, was being used here. 
And uh, the result is unfortunately two dead teenagers. And that's, that's terrible and it's sad. Uh, and I wish that wasn't the case, but that is sadly the case. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I guess let's just, I'll throw this out there for any first time listeners who, who, who don't know this, but we're not advocating. We're not, none of these stories where somebody gets shot or killed, even if you know, the person is legally justified, morally just nobody's happy that these teens got shot. No, nobody is advocating for that. On the flip side, nobody's advocating for people to be able to go and menace people and, 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 mm-hmm. you know, uh, harm them and threaten them and break into their homes and, and cause them violence. And, you know, so, um, just, I just want to throw that out there because, you know, sometimes we've, we've done these shows so many times and sometimes, you know, we kind of get tired of repeating the, the mantra, you know, but we get a new, new listener and sometimes we get emails and like, Hey, you know, you guys seem to, you know, be advocating or, you know, don't show a lot of sympathy or, or whatever towards uh, victims who are shot. And, you know, I guess (laughs) we'll, we also get the the messages sometimes that su- seem to suggest that we're too soft when we approach that's true. things like this. And I, I and and I'll say this: I don't, you know, if that's how you feel, if you th- feel like, like, why are we trying to, you know, uh, paint this more, you know, human humanistic picture of these these teen boys and you know create sympathy and so on and so forth? And it's like it, it is tragic. It is terrible. I'm sorry if that's the way you feel. You, if you if you're the type of person who looks at this, but these are two terrible, you know, violent uh, criminals that deserved everything that they got. Um, well, I'm sorry that that's you know that that's where your heart is, because I'm also the father of a 16 year old boy and several other children, and you know I'd like to think I know what that 16 year old boy is up to all the time. Uh, it, <laughs> At the same time, like kids make mistakes, kids do stupid things. Kids don't have a completely formed and developed, you know, uh, frontal lobe in their brain that helps them make, you know, good to prudent decisions. And stuff happens. Like kid parents, I I hope you know what your kids are up to. I hope you know what they're doing. I hope you're a part of their lives, you know, and that you know it, um, that you understand who your who your children are, you know. And it is tragic this sort of thing happens because it shouldn't happen. At the same time. I commend this gentleman that that defended himself because he had a right to do so. And and that's the part of the great tragedy here. Mm-hmm. And that's why we talk about the things that, in the way we do. Because it's terrible. It had to happen. But at the same time, it had to happen. Because yeah. otherwise, this gentleman, you know, the good guy, the victim in this case, he may have ended up being the one that's dead. And that would be tragic. Even more so. Because he, he there was no reason. He didn't, he didn't choose that. Right. Um, and so anyway, these are difficult things. And uh, I, I think what I'd like to try to communicate is like the right attitude for concealed carrier is that we shouldn't be wishful for the opportunity to shoot somebody, even if they deserve it. Cause that's the wrong attitude to have. In my opinion, you can disagree with that. That's fine. But anyway, I've said my, my bit and let's go on now to, <laughs> Woman shoots her accused rapist in foot after he breaks into home, Oklahoma cops say. Why don't you tell us about this one, Matthew? Yeah, so this happened uh, October 2nd, so 10 days ago, uh, 1.55 p.m. on a Sunday uh, afternoon. Uh, 
what ends up happening is a woman says she was raped in her bedroom. Uh, She grabbed the gun and starts shooting at her accused rapist several times. The report says one of the rounds um, struck this guy in the foot. He flees the scene, presumably limping. Um, uh, And, and basically um, they, they, come across this guy, identify him. She ends up having uh, determined that she had a restraining order against this guy and actually called the police um, in between the actual rape and the shooting. So maybe there was, there there was some, you know, uh, ability for her to, to after the, you know, the, the crime was committed to kind of uh, calm him down and he stuck around. Maybe they had some sort of, uh, they, they obviously knew each other before. Um, and she was able to call hoping that the police would arrive, but then um, something apparently, you know, uh, clearly made her uh, feel like she needed to now shoot. Maybe she, she finally got the, got to the gun at the same time. Who knows? Uh, the story doesn't really tell. Um, but, in between that time, she calls the police. So they're on their way already, but she ends up shooting him uh, in the foot. And uh, yeah, good. I mean, this is a, a sad story, right? This is, this is very sad that, that this would happen, um, but good in, the, in, in the, the respect that she was able to use a firearm because um, uh, imagine the police show up and he's inside with her. There's been a situation, I mean, a barricaded suspect gets a knife, has the victim there, has already shown violence, has a history of violence, doesn't want to go to prison. Um, and without the firearm, that that might have been the thing that, uh, you know, drove him out of the ho- home um, and, and saved her life. So, yeah, yeah. You know, the one thing I'm going to pick on here, Matthew and I'm not saying this is for sure what happened here, but this is, well, let's just say it's not the first time we've seen this, where uh, deadly force is used between two people that know them, know each other, two people particularly that were intimate or are intimate with each other. Um, in this case, obviously, we have, it's obviously the, the former, meaning that they used to be intimate partners, and uh, he's obviously a terrible person that has... Uh, done terrible things to this woman. And of course, in this case, broken in and attacked her and, and raped her. Uh, he deserves everything he got. I kind of, <laughs> uh, well, so anyway, the, 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 like, we can get sidetracked here, but the, uh, so the pattern that I've noticed that happens occasionally with incidents of, you know, where deadly force is used between intimate partners or formerly intimate partners or people that know each other well it's not unusual to hear about how they get shot in the foot or the leg or the arm or the hand or something like that, as opposed to like center mass or in the head. And what I believe, and I could be wrong in this, and I'm, that's why I want to hear your, your input on this, is that there is a subconscious desire to not shoot somebody where it counts when people that know each other are involved like this. In a, in, a, in a violent altercation. I don't know. What's your thought on that? Yeah, that's certainly possible. I didn't, I didn't even think of that. Um, it, you know, it didn't cross my mind um, really, but that's, that's an interesting thing um, that, that could be very well. Um, maybe psychologically doesn't, doesn't want to shoot like center chest or, you know what I mean? Or, um, or she just, well, I mean, 
how about this? How about that case out of Texas? Well, I can't remember the name of those two gentlemen involved. You know, remember the the like a child custody kind of matter, uh-huh. and the guy grabs his rifle, uh, pistol caliber carbine, in fact, and like initially shoots a warning shot at the dude's feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, obviously, they weren't super friendly with each other, but they knew each other, right? Yeah. These are mutual like exes, basically, and like these are shared children that are in, you know kind of at the center of this this dispute right um i it but i also know that there's been other cases and you know that were domestic violence type cases that we've it's been a while but I, there's just i can't think of any specific ones right now i just there's this this pattern that i feel like has emerged where it's like somebody gets shot in a leg or you know something like that or in the knee um in this case this dude gets shot in the foot well the foot's a long ways away from like where we normally train to shoot. Yeah. So that's why I'm like, hmm, you know, I kind of wonder if this was a I'm going to I'm going to fire some shots, you know, kind of low because I'm trying to scare him, get yeah. him to leave, um, you know, but I don't want to quite fully commit and go, you know, right at the chest kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. That you're you're probably right. It could it, you know, that's a it's an interesting Like I said, I didn't think about that, but there could be a, a a conscious, I, you know, like, or a subconscious, like, I, I just want, I just want them to go away. I just want, yeah. you know, the, these shots will just drive them away. And, and, you know, we see that with, with, uh, warning shots in general, you yeah. know? So I don't know. Anyway, it's just me, you know, pondering, musing. Mm-hmm. Kenosha, Wisconsin. Uh, we're getting close here to the end here. Uh, this story is homeowner in, kills intruder in struggle in Kenosha, police say. This one's pretty interesting. There's some video uh, that accompanies this as well. I mean, there's not a ton there that you can really see or make out, uh, but apparently on somebody's outdoor uh, home security type camera, you do see that the the intruder, there's he's across the street, you know, a good ways, probably 200 feet plus away. Uh in some kind of altercation with a neighbor there. But what happened here is that uh, around 7.20 p.m., police got a call about a man in this neighborhood. Apparently, it's a, and it looks like a nice neighborhood, you know. Uh, people start calling in. They're saying there's a, you know, basically there's a crazy man. You know, as far as we know, there's, there's a guy out there that's damaging cars at random is what the call is and also trying to break into houses. And he was unsuccessful until he was until he was able to force his way into one house where he got into a physical struggle with the homeowner who killed the intruder. Now, it's not super obvious from this written article, but if you watch the video, there's reference to uh, uh, one of the calls that's made, and there's a lot of blood, and that somebody was stabbed. So it kind of sounds like that the homeowner that killed this intruder did so not by a gun, but by uh, by using a knife or or some other kind of stabbing implement. Uh, which is, uh, you know, that's that's pretty pretty gnarly, no matter who you are. But um, this is a wild uh, incident, you know, because here you are in this normally quiet, uh, respectable neighborhood, and, you know, everybody's just doing their thing and enjoying life. And next thing you know, you got a random guy in the neighborhood damaging property and trying to break his way into people's houses. Uh, I think the, the reality is is that this, this, can, this kind of thing can happen. Uh, almost no matter who you are and almost no, no matter where you live. Yeah. And that's important to re- remember and to recognize. It reminds me of our own incident. We had all these years ago now when my seven-year-old was 
just a baby and we had a carjacking suspect that ended up hopping the fence and ended up in our backyard, which I detailed in an episode way, 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 way back when. Um, that was that was an eye opener for me because it was like, holy cow, this kind of thing can happen even in my neighborhood that I previously thought of as being relatively quiet, safe, and secure. Yeah. So, you know, it's, this is why you got to be ready all the time. This is why I carry pretty much every waking moment of the day, or at least have something nearby. So, yeah, and and I think this this I'm just speculating, uh, but I think that there might have been some either drug or mental issue with with the suspect here. Um, but you know, it says that he was trying he was damaging cars and trying to get into into homes. So this wasn't a targeted you know attack on this person. It wasn't you know it wasn't hey I'm going to break into this home because I saw that they left a you know plasma TV box outside and I want the the TV. This was a dude who was just trying to get into any home and and this is happening at 7 20 PM. So it's not in the middle of the night. It's, it's, you know, in the, in, in the late afternoon, early evening. Um, and this is, you know, I, sometimes I've had friends come over and kind of in, in some people that have done work inside my home kind of freak out a little bit. Cause as soon as the person comes in and I close the door, I lock the door behind them. Some people don't feel really comfortable with that, um, but it's just because, I, and I don't live in the hood, but I am in a habit of all the doors remain locked all the time. Um, I, I, I let somebody in and I lock the door behind them, not because they can't get out, but because, you know, this person was obviously trying to get into several homes and the doors were locked or they would have gotten in. And, and apparently, eventually they find a door that's unlocked and you know, um, it's just one of those things. So just, we talked about kind of a, a security posture or the things that you do prior to shooting, give you, buy you time or give you options. And certainly locking your doors gives you the ability to, certainly this guy could have kicked in the door, but if he had done that, they would have been alerted. So, you know, those types of things, locking your doors, locking your windows, having not opening your door without knowing who's there, having a, all those types of things that we t- we talk about all the time um, give give you options and give you time and and help we'll, we'll give you a, a better chance of survival. Yeah, yeah, right, on, man. Appreciate uh, your your further input on that. Uh, one more story. Why don't you uh, share this one with us, Matthew? Washington woman shoots two burglars breaking into her home. Yeah, so this is a Washington woman shot two burglars who tried to break into her home early Thursday morning. Uh, Two males attempted to gain entry into the woman's residence uh, around 4 a.m. So this is middle of the night. A homeowner confronts them and shoots them. That's, you know, pretty much cut and dry. Uh, It's all we really get other than one interesting thing that I thought was of note was one of the suspects deployed pepper spray in the exchange. Um, one of the suspects was injured severely, transported to the hospital in critical condition. Uh, the other suspect walked off with unknown injuries. Um, I just thought it was interesting that they had pepper spray on them. Mm -hmm. Uh, certainly, you know, suspects are armed and we presume that they're coming with a knife or a gun or something, but, um, pepper spray is pretty easy to get a hold of. And, you know, um, and so I think about, well, how many people understand the effects of pepper spray? If that pepper spray sprayed in anywhere in the home, um, it's going to, 
I mean, in indoors, you're going to, you're going to ha- be affected by it. So um, understanding the effects of pepper spray, even if you don't use it, even if you don't carry it um, could, could help you, you know, in, in a, in a case where it is deployed in, in a, um, you know, uh, maybe somebody defending themselves in a movie theater or in a store uses pepper spray to defend themselves and the situation escalates and you just happen to be there, but just understanding pepper spray, what it can do, what it doesn't do. Um, I think, you know, that just kind of popped out when I, when I read that little line. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, that was exactly what I picked up on as well. It was like, hmm, that's interesting. Although not, uh, totally out of nowhere, I would say in, relatively recent history especially it's been something i've noticed a little more of since uh the riots of 2020 that uh i've seen you know there's there was plenty of video footage during all those riots that took place in april may june july of 2020 and so forth that uh where where people running around the streets you know involved in i'm not talking about like people that were carrying this for defense but involved in rioting and looting and, and other violent acts were, were carrying and using and deploying pepper spray themselves, uh, even while sometimes police were using it against them. Um, and, uh, you know, there's been a few other instances here and there uh, of, of uh, we haven't really covered it in a DGU story uh, that I recall, but I, I know I've seen a few instances in the last couple of years of crimes that were being committed by individuals that happened to be carrying some of this stuff here some of this pepper spray like what i've got here so uh it's good to know about like you said i would certainly advocate for anybody listening that you consider taking an oc spray class okay uh where you you get a little bit more familiarized with the uh the, the product how it's used how to properly deploy it yourself because it is a valuable defensive tool for you to carry and have as an option to handle situations that, as Chuck Haggard describes, that, that end up being between a harsh word and a gun, um, you know, situations where it's not quite legal or viable to draw a gun or use a gun, but a simple harsh word is maybe not quite getting the job done. That That's a perfect place for, for something like OC spray to, to fill, fit the bill. Um, but also you may have the opportunity in those classes to understand, again, a, a little bit more about the effects, um, how to decontaminate an in somebody or de- decontaminate yourself after having been exposed to pepper spray yourself. Um, and you may even have the op- opportunity of being, uh, uh, you know, exposed, of being sprayed with, with OC spray itself. Uh, so you can get a sense of what that's like and also how you function and be a little bit better prepared for the future where that may could you know potentially happen to you or could happen. So uh I mean I'm I'm sure Matthew you've you've been exposed several uh, several times. I, I've been exposed and it's it's not pleasant, but you know, it is one of those things. It's, it's sort of like, you know, everybody has a plan to like you know get punched in the in the mouth, like Mike Tyson says, and uh but I'll tell you, once you've been punched a time or two, like you kind of know, okay, that's what that feels like. And you, you have a little bit better information about, you know, how to defend yourself or even how to continue forging ahead and staying in the fight, you know, even after you've been, you've had your bell rung or you've been exposed to pepper spray, you know, that kind of thing. So those, those are not always fun, but they are still worthwhile experiences, I think. And they so, can be fun. 
they can be fun. Yes, this is true. <laughs> this is true. So uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's maybe not a ton of OC spray type courses out there, especially available to the general public, um, but they are out there. If you if you diligently search for them, you, you'll come across them. I know my our friend Annette Evans actually recently was doing one at Six Hour Academy. Uh, Chuck Haggard, of course, teaches them uh, regularly in various places across the country and at various training conferences. Um, I know other individuals that put on OC spray courses. So if you can find something like that, worthwhile attending, I think. Absolutely. Well, this brings us to a conclusion of today's episode. Again, today's episode sponsored by CCW Safe and Mountain Man Medical. Again, you can find those companies at ccwsafe.com and mountainmanmedical.com. We hope that you'll support our sponsors. And we thank you for being a part of this episode with us today. We hope that sharing some of these justified safe stories was helpful to you as far as uh, providing some some food for thought, some lessons learned, and some takeaways that you can implement in your own mindset and in your own practices uh, and in your daily life. And we hope that you'll all be safe out there and smart and wise and prudent in your decision-making. Matthew, any final words before we part? Just thanks, everybody, for sticking with us and listening and showing up. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much, everybody. We always appreciate you. Feel free to hit us up if you have any any feedback or questions or information or things you want to share with us by emailing us at podcast at concealedcarry.com. And finally, we'll bid you adieu. Till next time, a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. A reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.